Um, so last week, the sermon, we talked about numbers, and we talked about how, um, and we're in Numbers 14, by the way, if you want to open up your Bibles to Numbers 14. We talked about how God sent, God brought the people out of Egypt, the Israelite people out of Egypt, and said, I'm going to give you a land, and God led them. And they got to the land, and he said, send out 12 spies to spy out the land. And they came back, and there were two groups. There was group number one who brought a bad report of the land. Those are 10 people brought a bad report, and they complained to people. And then there were two that said, yeah, but, yeah, but we could do it. We could take the land. And we talked about how God was giving them the land of Israel. So that's kind of a background. And um, group number one was controlled by fear. My question to you is, what fears stop you from doing what the Lord wants you to do? What are those fears? As I'm speaking today, think about what are some of your fears that you tend to struggle with? And let's do a show of hands again. How many of you guys ever struggle with fear? Raise your hand. And if you didn't put up your hand, you lied. How many liars we got today? <laughs> all right, just kidding. So we all struggle with fear. Uh, there are four lies that they believed. And lie number one, if you're, in your, if you're in your bulletin, there's notes, and you can fill in the blanks if you'd like to do that. Lie number one was that familiar dysfunction is better than seeking God's greener pastures. Lie number two they believed was God can't be trusted. Lie number three they believed catastrophizing is a good excuse for disobedience. And line number four, they believed, the approval of others is better than following God. Now, if you're the kind of person who you can only pay attention to a lecture for three minutes, here is the main point of the message for you. Our goal is not living without fear. Fears will always pop up in life. You will never... Live a life, the rest of your life, without having fear pop up. Fear is a normal thing that is inside of us. It happens. Sometimes we should be afraid of things. Fears will always pop up. That is not a fail if you have a fear. So if you're a Christian who gets really insecure and you're like, oh, I have these fears. I'm a pathetic Christian. No, you're a normal human. Fears happen. It's how you deal with them. That's, the, that's what we're talking about today. It's not a fail to have a fear. Instead, our goal is to not let fear become a barrier to you obeying God. Today, we're going to look at the other spies. We're going to look at the ones who said, let's do this thing and see what made them different. Numbers 14, starting at verse 5. So Moses, Aaron, and Joshua, and, and Caleb believed in, they put their trust or their conviction in what God told them. It says in verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, son of a, was it a Nun? Anyhow, that's, a, that's my dad joke. It didn't work very well, did it? That was really lousy. All right. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of 
Yefuna, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Question, do you suppose these men had the same fears as the rest of the spies did, as the other camp did? Maybe. Probably they had the same fears, wouldn't you assume? They saw the same things, but they had something the others did not have, and that is trust. The big question for you is, is God trustworthy? Can you trust the God of the Bible? That's the big question. As I shared last week, I would box Mike Tyson if I had good insurance that would cover it. You know, if someone asked me once, would you box him for a million? I said, of course I would if insurance covers me fighting him. Mike Tyson is the man. I mean, what a physique. You look at those muscles. And I thought, man, he is the toughest guy on earth that I was talking about last week. Do I need to blather on about Mike Tyson? Anyhow, he, I love his quotes on fear. He has this other quote that I wanted to share with you this morning. He was asked the difference between a hero and a coward. And here's what Mike Tyson said. There is no difference between a hero and a coward in what they feel. It's what they do that makes them different. And he went on to talk about how the hero has the discipline to push through and do what's right, even though they have to press through fear. What a great quote that is from him. Some of these people back in Israel's beginnings cowered in fear, but others pushed through fear and trusted God. These men went on to challenge the crowd to try and help them to overcome the barrier of fear. So let's look at their counsel and see what made these men different. What healthy thoughts they had to help them successfully navigate fear. And as we're doing that, like I said, think of fears that you struggle with and see if there's any wisdom in this for you. Healthy thought number one that they had in verse 9. A healthy thought number one is this. Remember that we are accountable to God for our choices. Verse 9 says this. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Why? Because disobedience to God is seen as rebellion. Because they, out of fear, refused to follow the Lord, they were actually placing the idol of self-preservation over the Lord. Here's the Lord as the God of their heart, and their fear and desire to preserve their own lives kicked God out, and we shared a little bit of that last week. It removed God, and self-preservation became God. They became the God of their own heart, so to speak. Matthew 16, verse 24 through 27 says this. Let me read it to you. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
What whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So there's a man who, in this story, he wants to save his life. And in doing so, he loses his life. But if you lose your life for the sake of Jesus Christ, you gain life. So when does fear become rebellion? When it keeps you from following the Lord's commandments. So I have a couple, and if you're taking notes in your bulletin, a couple prescriptions for fear, a couple verses that you can look up later uh, this week for Bible study if you'd like to. The first one is Matthew 6.33. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, the context of that, Jesus is talking about worry and fear. People are worrying, what will I wear? What, how will I get food? How will I? And they're worried about all these things. And Jesus says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about, clothing and food, all these things, I'll take care of those things. You focus on me, is what he says in Matthew 6, verse 33. And then another one to look at later is Romans 14, 12. It talks about how each person must give an account to God by the works they did while here in this body. Healthy thought number two. If God is with you in it, then fear is an obstacle to be attacked. The passage says this, And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Remember we were talking about Saipan, and we were talking about how the people who lived in Saipan were afraid that the Americans were going to come and eat the women and children. Remember that? And, and in this passage, they were like, you know, the people of the land, the Amalekites, are going to devour our women and children. But here he says, the people are bred for us. In other words, we don't conquer them. Cannibalism, of course, is wrong in the Bible, so they weren't going to actually eat people. Um, then he says, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The question for you is, is God in it? What did God tell them that he wanted to do through them? Number one, he told them, go spy out the land that I am giving you. Number two, this is the land God promised Abraham. God was totally in it. God told them to go for it. What has God told you to do in your life? I thought of a couple of things that that people tend to struggle with, and I struggle with sometimes. Maybe God has called you to live at peace or to forgive others or to be a missionary or to share the gospel with your supervisor or to lovingly share the truth with people around you. Maybe he has told you to cut the ties of sin and live a holy life or to lay down your life for another person or to love those who are hard to love or to connect with a small group of his people 
or to join his kingdom work without compromise. If he has told you to do something, then he also wants to use you to do it. Never fear doing what God has called you to do. A couple of verses to encourage you this week. First one is Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And here's the great part this morning. And surely I am with you always. When? How long? To the end of the earth, to the end of the age. Jesus says, I am with you. He is with you as a believer. He is with you when you are doing his work. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, people labor in vain. Or Hebrews 13.5 is a good one to look up. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, then who could be against us? Or 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Or Joshua 1, 9, what did God tell Joshua in Joshua 1, 9? Anybody know it? Go for it. You don't know it? Thanks for raising your hand, though. I appreciate that. Fear not. For I am with you. Yeah, be strong and courageous. Fear not. I am with you. I guess uh, Joshua dealt with a little bit of fear later on, perhaps, when he was actually going into the land, right? So when you are feeling fearful about something, stop. Consider if this is something God wants you to do. And if it is, then go for it. He is with you. Do not be afraid. So the question is, how do we know if God is calling us to do something? You read his word. You pray and you seek him. Lord, is this something you want me to do? You spend that time checking things with him. So that's their speech to the people. Don't be afraid. It's going to be great. Flowing with milk and honey. Great place. How do you think the congregation responded to their speech? They're like, yeah, I don't think so. Verse 10 says this, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Well, talk about peer pressure. There's a Hebrew word for being stoned with. It's, it's oy vey is the Hebrew word. It's a terrible, anybody here, anybody here ever been hit with rocks? You've been actually hit with stones before? I don't, I don't know what those rocks were in front of our house when I was a kid, our landscape. There were these stones about this big, white stones, and there were some neighborhood bullies and one day they started, they got like handfuls of these suckers. And they were pelted. I didn't feel the ones that hit me in the back, but they hit me in the head like three or four times with them. That really hurts. I didn't enjoy that. It was terrible. So I'm reading this passage, and they picked up stones, the whole congregation. They said, let's kill these guys. They're nuts. Healthy thought number three is this. Remember. Remember. God's faithfulness. We could probably go on all day sharing stories of how God has been specifically faithful to us. So ha- having been hit with rocks, 
I really appreciate this next verse. Let me read it to you. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. I love that God shows up here. He rescued them, didn't he? God is a rescuing God, and he really had to show up here. He says, I will strike them with the, the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. To the Lord, fear is not a reasonable excuse to refuse what the Lord has called you to do. You have no excuse to let fear stop you from doing what is right. And what is good. So any football players in here? Anybody play football? Obviously the Sparks do. Caleb, you did not play football. All right. Play, you, you guys know what a chop block is? Anybody know what a chop block is? Adam, do you want to demonstrate? On some of my brothers right there. Watch it demonstrate my brother. No, don't do that. A chop block. A chop block is when you have the line and the guy chops their legs out from underneath them. So if you have fear blocking you, Sometimes you need to chop block it, all right? Sometimes you need to attack the fear. I'm trying to make it more sensitive, you know, so I don't offend anybody or be too abrasive. But when you have fear that's trying to stop you from what's doing, doing what is right, sometimes you've got to attack that sucker. And you've got to almost say, like, come on, fear. Um, I had a dog once in our neighborhood who was coming to attack me, like a boxer. And uh, I don't know, it was like a, it's like probably about this big. He said, oh, Shelly was here. And this dog was running at me. And I thought to myself, yes, I get to be like David and like David killed lions. I'm going to attack this dog. I ran full speed at this dog that was coming after me. You should have seen what the dog did. That dog stopped and went whoop, choo, that dog was out of there. It ran its backyard and that dog had not come out since. Plus I, I, I repaired the fence so it wouldn't come out again for the guy. And, uh, because I didn't want to actually get killed. But uh, I attacked, I went after that dog, and I'm like, come on. And what I said actually was, come on, dog. And I ran at that. That's sometimes with fear, if you need to do what's right, sometimes you got to attack that fear and, and overcome that fear. Anybody say amen to that one? Yeah, you guys are late. Okay, so I love the next, next part here is Moses. What does he do with these annoying people who are going to murder him? Moses prays for them. Let me read this to you. But Moses objected. What will the Egyptians think when they hear about it? He asked the Lord. They know full well the power you displayed in rescuing your people from Egypt. Now, if you destroy them, the Egyptians will send a report to to the inhabitants of the land who have already heard that you live among your people. People knew about this God called the Lord. They already knew in the land about him. They know, Lord, that you have appeared to your people face to face, and that your pillar of cloud hovers over them. They know that you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slaughter all these people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will say, the Lord was not able to bring them into the land he swore to give them. So he killed them in the wilderness. Please, Lord. Prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. For you said, the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. 
but he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of their parents, of the parents, upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. In keeping with your great unfailing love, please pardon the sins of the people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. See, these people were slaves to fear, even though they were children of God. So these people had a cloud and a pillar. They watched the plagues and the Red Sea split, like we talked about last week, and were still overcome by fear. This was the generation that saw all that stuff happen, by the way. Fear can be a very powerful motivator. These people left Egyptian slavery, but slavery of fear never left them. Consider this. They saw God do amazing things, but all of a sudden they assumed that God was unable to do amazing things any longer. Why do you think that was? Fear can blind you from the truth if you let A biblical prescription for this point here, this healthy thought. Uh, Daniel 3, verse 17 through 18. Let me read this to you. Daniel 3, verse 17 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to be killed by the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar wanted people to worship him as a god. So they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They knew of God's faithfulness, and they knew, they were convinced that God would care for them. You are his child if you have received Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. You are a child of God. You also have the same spirit that was in Daniel. How much more confidence can you have? He didn't have a book to read. We have a book to read these stories of God's faithfulness again and again. How confident we can be if we quit bowing our heads to fear. So some practical ways to help us to remember God's faithfulness. Last week I talked about having a book where you write down answers to prayer or how God has blessed your family. Be specific in that book as well. Um, Another way is uh, share praises and raise hallelujahs with loved ones. Not a very... We're a little bit of a charismatic-y type of church, but not a real charismatic-y church. would you agree with that? There are some churches that are, everything's praise the Lord, hallelujah, brother. Very, uh, they love to share their testimonies. And one way that people know that God is still alive is when you share that God is still alive. Share your testimonies with people. God is at work in this way. Boy, I remember when God, share those stories. Say amen, say hallelujah with your loved ones about this. Reminds me of Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about sharing 
your testimony of what the Lord has done with your family members. One thing I started to do recently is I put a column in my prayer journal, and I write down when prayers were answered. I put down a date. I write down how it was answered, and, and that has been a good testimony of God being a living God, and it helps me remember how God has been faithful and how he's worked in my life. Healthy thought number four. Disobedience has real consequences. Sometimes these consequences are expected. Sometimes these consequences are unexpected consequences, right? Disobeying God because of fear is disobedience. And disobedience is sin. And we know that the wages of sin or the result of sin, the paycheck of sin, is death. We got to think deeper than the emotion of fear. We must not let emotions or base instinct control us and cause us to become dysfunctional to God's commands. So here are the consequences. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And I was reading this, I thought, amen. If you go to China, if you go to Pakistan, if you go to Nigeria or Iran or you name the country, Mexico, every nation has heard about the Lord, his fame, his glory and who he is has spread around every nation. I love reading that this week. Verse 22. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. Notice this blessing here. But my servant Caleb Because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. Thus begins the 40 years of them wandering. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard their grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. And then God gives his decision. Now, I want to say this. It was a big deal for them to go and take the land, right? It was going to be the whole story of Israel and the Jewish people. The question you've got to ask is, is whatever, whatever you're being hindered from doing because of fear, you've got to determine whether that's a big deal. To the Lord. You've got to pray about that and figure that out. But this was a huge deal um, in this time. Verse 28. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into this land where I swore that I would make you dwell except for Caleb, the son of Jehunah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in this wilderness for 40 years 
and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all the wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent out to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. Now, what would you think? These are real people in a real situation in history. What would you think if you heard the Lord say these things? One thing I noticed here is that the Lord gave them exactly what they wanted. Remember in verse 2 they said, well, oh, that we would have died in the wilderness. God said, okay, in the wilderness you will get what you wanted. In the wilderness you will die for your lack of faith and your rejection of me. Instead of trusting in God, these people continued in their stubborn rebellion. In fact, I'm not going to read it today, but if you finish the chapter, verse 39 through 44, you see that God says, do not go up now, it's too late. And the people insisted that they could go up and fine. They're like, fine, Lord, we we heard what you said. You know, now we're ready to obey you. Now that you've dropped the penalty, we've changed our minds. And God says, don't go up. I'm not with you anymore. I've already given you the judgment. You've already received that. Don't go up. And guess what they did? They went up anyhow. They continued to disobey the Lord. They were driven by fear. They were not now these great godly people. It was still all about them. It was not godly sorrow. Fear was still controlling them. So what do we learn from this passage this morning? Number one. The Lord gave the people a command. You know what he's commanded you. It's in this book here. Number two, the people let fear of the unknown control their hearts and their minds and their behaviors and their attitudes. Number three, there's nine, by the way. (laughs) Some people were controlled by fear. Some people trusted God. Number four, fear happens. We all deal with fear, but it becomes a problem when it eclipses trusting God's promises and his commands. Number five, fear is not an excuse for disobedience. Brian, you should make these all into bumper stickers. They're nice little save. Number six, disobeying out of fear is rebellion against God. It is a serious offense, and it receive serious consequences. Number seven, the feeling of fear loves to justify itself, doesn't it? Am I right about that? We have great ways of justifying not doing something we should do. You know, fear likes to talk, right? Number eight, disobedience has real consequences. It really does. Number nine, 
we need to learn to rise above fear in our lives. It is better to die doing what is right than never really living at all. That's what I would say about that. Better to die doing what is right than not really living at all. God has given us an awesome calling to be his ambassadors, to obey him, to follow him. He loves us. But there's more to him than just blessing us sometimes. Sometimes if we're in disobedience, he's going to make life tough because he loves us. Let us obey him and let us not let fear control our lives and stop us from following him. Next week, J.D. is going to get into he back into Hebrews. And this is the context of what we're going to dig into in Hebrews about God's displeasure with sin.